Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The big news this morning is that the polls are showing the Tories have had a massive boost thanks to Nigel Farage's decision and Boris Johnson is now 14 points ahead of Labour despite their promises to outspend everyone put together to supercharge the NHS, supercharge schools and the infrastructure of the country. As Jeremy Corbyn and Joe Swinson campaign in the flooded out houses of Yorkshire, it became clear that they are both falling far behind in the race for Downing Street according to a YouGov poll in the Times this morning. Boris Johnson uh, is up in South Yorkshire even as we speak. But the big question this morning is what Labour does to fight back over the next four weeks. We'll be asking Brendan Chilton from Labour Leave what their strategy is likely to be because they've done it before, as you heard Julie Hartley Brewer say. Uh, they came back from a massive deficit in 2017 uh, to do an awful lot better than everyone expected them to do. But what have they got up their sleeve this time, if anything? Let's find out. 0344 499 1000. The move by the Brexit party to basically stand down in every Tory seat uh, and to stand up in every Labour marginal has clearly had a big effect. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why council parking charges are soaring by up to 90%, why Meghan and Harry are depriving the royal family of their first Christmas with baby Archie, and we'll look ahead to the Trump impeachment hearings which start later on today and could prove uh, to make this week particularly interesting uh, for the American politicians. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the uh, Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The story we want to talk about right now with Mike Rutherford, before we take any more of your calls, is the state of affairs uh, with local councils. Because unbelievably, local council parking charges have actually soared, have actually gone up, right, by about 90%, which is a hard enough uh, fact to take in at first instance. But then, when you realise that not only is that happening, but that on the other side of expenditure and looking after the roads, potholes and spending on potholes has actually plummeted. It's a dreadful state of affairs. Let's find out from Mike Rutherford how uh, this can continue. Mike, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Michael. Thank you very much indeed. Um, so, council parking charges, always a bugbear on this show. I don't understand why they charge so much, why uh, they want to take so much of our money uh, just because they can. Um, but if they're not now spending any of that money on the roads, what is going on? Well, I can sum it up in one word, actually, Mike, and that's greed. Yes. Pure greed. Um, what are we, the humble souls of the uh, towns and cities and villages of, uh, uh, of Britain, going to do about it? I was talking to a, a presenter the other day. So you're very cynical. You know, uh, you, what you do is you vote out the local councillors and you vote in the new ones. As if the new ones are going to be replacing the old ones. They're going to tear up the plans that, that are there in existence and are funding uh, the coffers of the councils. I mean, we're stuck with it. And uh, there's very little we can do about it, except... I suppose, vote with our feet and just whenever possible, just refuse to cough up. I mean, I, I've got this thing. It's not something everybody can do, is it? But, you know, I, I've got this thing where I'm now parking on the edge of town and saying to myself, well, I've got to do my 6,000 or 8,000 steps a day. Maybe I can actually kill two birds with one stone here. Save some money by parking on the edge of town and then walking in the rest of the way. But, of course, that's not easy for a lot of people to do. Um, and why should you? Why shouldn't you be able to just park at a reasonable price and get a reasonable service and know that the money that you're sticking into the council coffers is then recirculated and goes to all things like potholes, etc.? I mean, it, you know, it's pure greed. It's a scam. And I'm sorry to say... Um, there's not a lot we can do about it. Unfortunately not. And because it's been going on for the best part of about 10 years, all of this kind of policy, it has contributed massively, in my view, uh, to the kind of death of the high street. We don't often talk about uh, the, the, the council parking situation when we talk about shops closing down. We blame the internet. We blame people ordering stuff online. We blame people not being able to park in a street because there's no parking. But what we don't do is blame the council for making it so expensive for people to, to park and walk to the shops. Well, you're absolutely right. And I've got a mate who's a particularly tight-fisted old friend of mine who, um, <laughs> who uh, when, we, when the lads meet up once a week for a, for a bite to eat or a, 
or a um, or, or a beer. Uh, he, he always turns up at ten o'clock. Right. He was always the last one to turn up. And when I asked him why the other day, he said, "Oh, because the, the parking charges apply up until ten, right. and I, I refuse to pay them." Well, that's money that and him and a lot of other people are not spending in the high street yeah. because I mean, how can you justify charging people until ten o'clock? to park uh, close to some nothingy high, high street in the stick somewhere. The other thing is, why not, you know, in order to uh, rejuvenate the high street, I'd actually op- uh, introduce a system that I've seen in other countries, particularly in Asia. You know, as you leave the car park or wherever, um, they, 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 they're almost begging you to say, have you got a receipt yes. uh, for something that you've bought? Right. In, in other words, if you've been to the cinema or you've been for a meal or even been for a few pints, as long as you've got a receipt... Uh, of course, not a few pints if you're driving, but if, if, if you've got a designated driver and you can prove that you've spent some money in the town, yeah. you get free parking. I mean, but it's, you it's see, a, I've it's always a I've always taken great exception to the parking policy generally in this country because if you go somewhere like uh, to the Westfield Centre in Stratford or in Shepherd's Bush, right. right in London, both very high end kind of shopping centres, right, you have to pay to park there. It's an underground car park, and there is no discount offered, generally speaking, unless there's some kind of promotion going on, and oh. you can you can spend. 10 quid parking there for a couple of hours. I took one of my kids to the cinema there the other week and it was something like uh, about 8 quid to park before you even went inside. Yeah. Well, uh, but uh, and I couldn't agree with you more, but what have we got down the road from Westfield and places like that you're talking about? You've got the Blue Water Shopping Centre. Yes. Um, and I think it's the same on the other side of the river at, uh, in Essex, uh, the name of which it's uh, escaped me. But we, you've got those two centres there that are always packed because it's free parking. And, I mean, it seems blindingly obvious to me that Lakeside, of course, is the one in Essex, but it's obvious that they are dragging people away from the likes, from from places like central London, from Westfield, and, and the local towns like Dartford and Gravesend. You know, they're kind of ghost towns, those places, because people are obviously going to go to an out-of-town shopping centre that's got free parking. Those places are absolutely thriving. And that's the lesson, surely, for all these councillors. Don't sit and moan about it and say, oh, you know, everyone's leaving the high street. You, the councillor, are forcing people to leave the high street, shops to leave the high street, restaurants to leave the high street because of your parking charges. And let's not also forget, Mike, the other one, and I saw a story yesterday and I, I could hardly believe it. 25 quid a day to park your car, according to London's newspaper uh, last night that I read when I was on the train, £25 to park your car at Reading Railway Station. Goodness gracious. And that's meant to be encouraging people to use the train, right? Well, that's one of those classic stations. It's in a perfect position. You whack up the M4, you you get so far, and you say, right, we're not going to drive any further because it all starts getting... Uh, too too, yeah. too too congested from this point. Perfect, um, you know, traffic planning, thinking it through. You park your car at Reading, do the rest of your journey into London by train. But in addition to the tens of pounds you're spending on the train fare, it's 25 quid to park your car. I mean, if you know, we've got to be honest about these things. These are just straightforward rip-off prices. Yes, and there's really another are. one, Can- Canterbury. I can tell you. I did, I did something about this on a local radio station in that area only last week. The, the uh, powers that be in Canterbury are saying to people who are, who are driving their cars to the station in the morning, you know, a lot of people get up at 6, 6.30 in the morning, park their cars at the station, it's pitch black, it's cold, they're getting on a train to go to work, they're doing their bit, they're an asset to society. And Canterbury Council is introducing the scheme in parts of the borough where you can't park your car before 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, for God's sake. In other words, they're discouraging people from going out and doing a hard day's work for mm. probably a, a reasonable day's pay. The other great one, which has happened to a couple of friends of mine coming up from Sussex, is you get to the, the railway uh, car park and the machine that you're supposed to buy a ticket from doesn't work. Because it's quite early in the morning, there isn't anyone manning the actual ticket office either. So you get your own ticket for the train. But when you come back from wherever you've been later on that day, you find that you've got a parking ticket because you didn't buy a ticket because you couldn't buy a ticket. Yep, and that's more lucrative for them because the fine is more than the fee you would have paid. The other one that really annoys me, and surely there needs to be a legal challenge to this, and that's the council, uh, and it's usually the council car parks that do this, where they say we give no change. So yeah. you want to sp- you want to spend 50p because you want to park for 
the 10 minutes to go and do whatever you're doing, yeah. go to the bank or something. But you put in a £2 coin and it won't give you £1.50 change. Mm. I mean, if that's not legalised fraud, I use the in inverted yeah. commas, I don't know what is. My other bugbear, of course, and people listening to this show will know that I've banged on about this many times, is that in, in my local uh, car park in the, in, the, in the town where I am, down in Sussex, they've, they've started this uh, vehicle registration thing where you have to put in the first four letters of your uh, licence yep. plate, right? Which means that if you park there for ten minutes and you've booked it for an hour, you can't then hand the ticket to somebody else, which is what everybody used to do, to say, oh, by the way, if you just arrived, you can use this ticket because I'm not using it. And I always say, surely if you rent the space for an hour you're entitled to then gift the rest of that hour to somebody else instead of them charging for yet another hour uh, over the same space. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it comes back to that word greed, doesn't it, Mike? Yeah. They're, not, they're not happy with the fact that you've paid already. They want more. It's more, more, more. And I've got to say that, you know, I don't know if it's been done on a national level, whether it's been done at uh, these various conferences local councils have or, or, or how it's come about, but obviously... Some, some men and women at these councils, possibly with aided and abetted by central government, we don't know, certainly mm. county council level, have, have obviously sat in a room somewhere and said to themselves, look, this is, there, this is, this is you know, a licence to print yes. money. There are no laws, there are no regulations about how high we can go with this. And, and you know, the other thing, of course, uh, is that a lot of people, you know, people will be listening to this, Mike, saying, well, if you don't like the the charges don't go there mm. go somewhere else listen i spent an awful lot of time with my son at university college london hospital at uh, Tottenham court road yeah. uh euston and we used to pay um 50 pounds a day basically to park yeah. for a 10 hour day right um and that's not a hospital car park that's just regular parking right that's absolutely right. And yeah. what people, you know, and for those of you who say, for those of the people who say, well, why can't you take the tube or why, why do you need a car? You, when somebody is very, very ill and it's a cancer hospital, you need to be there with your car so that you yeah. transfer to other hospitals and all sorts of other reasons. I mean, £50 a day plus the congestion charges oh, now and plus the other charges. You could, we, we could be looking at a situation if you sat down and did the sums where it's £100, mm. including your fuel cost, £100 yeah. or thereabouts to drive in from the outskirts of London into London and park your car yeah. in London. Well, do you know, the day, the day that those idiots of Extinction Rebellion got pulled off the trains in, Cam in Canning Town, um, the Jubilee line was knackered, which is the way I go to work. I drove in uh, because it was the only way I could get into work, basically, because all the buses were full. Um, and it cost me, for the, for, the, for, the, for the five hours that I had to park the car, basically, effectively, uh, to come in and do a radio show, uh, about 40 quid for that, and about, what, 12, 50, 13 quid for the... So it cost me nearly over £50 pounds just to come to yeah. work for, for one show. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, what, where does that leave people who are in jobs... Um, you know, well, that's all they respect make. To them. Yeah, well, quite. Uh, you know, and and look at the price of the uh, look at the price for the for the fares. You know, you've got to pay maybe thirty, forty quid to just come in from metropolitan area uh, uh, towns and, and and villages and and small cities in and around you know around London. Thirty, forty quid for a return ticket, um, and then on top of that, you've got to. You've got to pay your parking fees at the station or, or the alternative is, is to drive into London. I mean, and coming back to the, the protesters you talked about, I'm not going to give them the oxygen of publicity by naming them. But, I mean, you know, here we are being bludgeoned out of our cars, Mike, to get onto the trains and the tubes. I mean, I was sitting there on the train yesterday. I had to meet somebody, another car guy, and we had a meeting. Actually, it was the uh, director of the soon-to-be-relaunched British Motor Show, and there's both of us meeting at Waterloo. Right. Neither of neither of us in the car because we both agreed we've been bludgeoned out of our cars, and yet after being bludgeoned, price call it what you like, out of our cars and not daring to take them into London, what happens? You get protesters who are then objecting to us using underground trains and other modes of public yes. transport. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Are we all supposed to stay at home? And when I said that to somebody recently, half-jokingly, are we supposed to not come out of the door? And he said, well, you can stay at home, but as long as you don't have your wood-burning stove burning or your <laughs> gas central heating on oh, all day, because they're, add to the, they're, they're adding to the emissions problem as well. I mean, 
you know, you can't it's win. It's pathetic, isn't it? Absolutely pathetic. We didn't even get around to talking about a couple of other things we wanted to do, so we'll get to those another time. Mike, thanks very much indeed. Mike Rutherford there. On the outrageous uh, idea that these councils are now charging so much money uh, to park their to park your car uh, where they are. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and as well as uh, spending something like a billion pounds now uh, on parking in uh, various different councils around the country, don't forget they're actually cutting back on all sorts of other spending, like, for example, fixing potholes. They're not bothering with any of that. Uh, that's gone down. Money spent on regeneration of private housing went down by 70% uh, over that period. Uh, spending on bus passes, mainly for pensioners, went down, uh, which is a subsidy. Free bus passes for pensioners have been regarded as untouchable, uh, but they haven't been spending as much money on that. Uh, £1 billion a year is the value of parking charges to councils now, and it's absolutely outrageous. There's lots of you who want to talk about this because there's all kinds of parking problems as well. 0344-499-1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next here on Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. We are your election station. We're going to take loads of your calls today, uh, as we do every single day, because it's your voice that counts. You're the people that are going to elect the next government. So we want to hear from you. But we're also talking to you about parking today as well. And Paul uh, has called in from Macclesfield. Uh, used to be a former council officer, I believe. Paul, very good morning to you. Uh, morning, Mike. Thanks very much for calling in. What can you tell us? Well, basically, the, the reason they're increasing all the parking charges is that the infrastructure of all the car parks is absolutely knackered now. Mm. And we need major investment. Um, and since enforcement came in in 2007, they've been making millions. Mm. And nothing has been put down in these car parks. I inspected 100 of these car parks on a monthly basis. And nothing has been done in a period of 30 years in major construction. We have a car park in Macclesfield called Churchill Way, a multi-storey car park. Right. It's been condemned. Really? I mean, uh, you'd think, you would think, Paul, would you not, that if they're going to make such a lot of money from these car parks, they'd build more of them? Well, that's right. There's been no major investments. The drainage isn't working. The car park I was talking about... There's no drainage work. It floods the market downstairs. Right. But they carry on taking all our money off us. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And what about uh, the, what it means to the council budget itself? Do they kind of factor it in every single year as a very important part of their expenditure that they're going to be able to make? Well, I can't, I, I can't, I can't comment on the last five years, but in my experience, there's been no major investment in the car parks. Mm. Only in enforcement to make the money. Yes, and I suppose it's in their interest to have fewer car parks, possibly in certain places, so they can give out more tickets. Well, that's right, and our area at the moment is going to be bringing in uh, pavement parking. Right. Well, people who live in cottages, where else can they park? Yeah, exactly. So basically, they're pricing the cars off the road for the lower-cost people. Yes, that's really what it's all about, I fear, Paul. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Gary says this, Islington Council now adds a £3 an hour environmental fee to parking charges if you have the audacity to own a diesel vehicle. They would be the diesel vehicles that not long ago all the experts were telling us to buy because they're more friendly to the environment. And Coleman says, Mike, my local council used to allow 30 minutes free parking. It was abolished earlier this year. One major retailer was down £7,000 in the first week. At least the local councillors who voted for this will be out uh, at the next elections. Well, you never know, do you? Let's talk to James, who's in Chesterfield and wants to talk about the election. Hello, James. Hello, mate. You're right. Yeah, very well. What do you want to say? Uh, basically, um, Nigel Farge had to, um, had, to, had to stand down in certain constituencies because um, he had so much pressure on him. From where? Um, uh, Aaron Banks. Uh-huh. And, and a lot of, of, of Brexiteers. Yes, I, th I get the sense that there's been a bit of a split inside the Brexit party as well. Some people wanted him to stand in all of the seats and some wanted him to not do that because it would, har would harm the Brexit cause. Oh, definitely, definitely. I would have preferred him to stand in every seat, to be fair. Yeah. Would you have been willing to risk possible uh, possibility of the Tories not winning the election, though? Uh, well, well, that's the decision you've got to make, isn't it? Yeah. 
absolutely. You know, um, it, it's about um, going for, 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 for what your heart desires or it, making the best of what's there. Well, that's the point, isn't it? And if, it's all very well to go for what your heart desires if it's achievable, but if it's not achievable, sometimes you have to go for what's second best, don't you? Second best in what way? Well, in the sense that if it's not, say, for example, say say you wanted to have a no-deal Brexit exit from, from the European Union, that would appear yeah. to be difficult to do because Boris Johnson tried to do that, but he was prevented from doing it by a series of things that happened, for not least the Ben Act, which was passed, not least the uh, Remainer Parliament, which was making it very difficult for him to leave without a deal, and because of the way the law was structured. OK, so how about... Um... If you had to decide on, 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 on what's your best bet, yes. on, on what's best to go for, or decide that if you do this, then you've got a chance of getting what you want, yeah. isn't that more beneficial? Yes, and I think that's why Nigel Farage did what he did, because I think that he thought yeah, there, was be there was a better chance for him to get what he wanted by doing this than by standing in every single seat. Yeah, but I, I, I just want to talk to all the Brexiteers out there. That they've got to understand... That it's a political game. Yeah. It, it, it's not about this or that. It's about political views and, and how it's going to go. And you've got to make judgments on what you, what you want for what you can get. Yes. No, Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense, James. And in fact, I would totally agree with you that sometimes you have to work out what it is that you can get out of the situation that you are in. And if you can't get absolutely everything, then you have to compromise and take uh, advice on it and get what you can get, which I think is exactly what Nigel Farage uh, took the view about. 0344 499 1000. Pete says, in Bath, the council charged not only the car park charges, but there's basically a one to two mile radius outside the city centre where everything is residential permits, yet no one parks there during the day. And this used to be free parking. No wonder people don't shop in the city. Well, they did this in Edinburgh as well when I was living up in Scotland and they basically made a load of streets in the new town uh, payable uh, by residential permitting. Unfortunately, uh, they sold more permits than there were spaces. So people who bought a residential permit sometimes couldn't even find a parking space and then had to go and park somewhere else which they had to pay for or risk getting a ticket because their residential permit only worked in one or two particular streets. It's absolutely un unbelievable what these people get up to. Francis says it cost me £15 a day to park at hospital when my mother was there. When she was at the end of life, they did give me a sign with a dove on it, so it was free. Well, that's nice of them, isn't it? But, I mean, hospital parking is another one. Uh, don't get me started on that. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Matthew Wright's coming up, of course, uh, at 1 o'clock. Now, uh, here's a question for you before we get back to any more of your calls. Uh, have you ever looked in the attic? Have you got an attic or a cellar? Uh, a friend of mine is actually having a, a, redo, a redoing of the cellar downstairs uh, and they're coming across all kinds of old stuff that they hadn't even really looked inside drawers and inside uh, old sort of the cupboards that were down there uh, which belonged to the previous owners. And you never know what you're going to find because somebody found in one of their uh, homes a pear-shaped china teapot found on a shelf sold for a staggering £1 million uh, at an auction. 
So, I mean, you know, if you've got any antiques knocking about, and I know the Antiques Roadshow is one of the most popular shows in the world, of, uh, of, of this country certainly anyway, but people are always looking to make a mint out of something that they didn't know was worth anything at all. Let's talk to Daniel Wright, who's an auctioneer and valuer uh, at Riemann Danzi Auctioneers. Uh, Daniel, a very, very good morning to you. Welcome. And to you. Thanks very much indeed. Well, um, I suppose this is everybody's dream, isn't it? You find a little teapot and it's worth a million quid. Uh, everybody uh, has a very, very nice time celebrating. It still happens. It's not easy, but um, from time to time we do get these stories and um, it gives everyone a bit of hope, doesn't it? Well, it does really, doesn't it? I mean, how... I don't, know, I don't expect you to be a bookmaker here, but I mean, what are the odds of yep. finding something that's worth, you know, any money at all, never mind that kind of money? Well, I think it's pretty slim. I mean, to give you an idea, our auction house has a sale every other week. And um, I reckon we sell probably 50,000 lots in a year. Okay. Um, every so often, we had one earlier in the year. We, we've just sold a collection of maps for half a million pounds and one single map made 250,000. Um, so, you know, every so often something happens, but you are talking about a one in a million chance right. finding one of these things, I guess. Sure. And maps are actually good, aren't they? Because particularly, uh, my sister's got an old map that she had valued, and it turned out to be worth something ridiculous. She lives in America, but it's an old map of yep. the world. And it's valued at something yep. like 25,000 quid. Yeah. Um, maps are one of those things that I suppose were sort of little considered in some respects in their day. Of mm. course, they were... They were incredibly important, and um, these were, especially, you know, we were talking about a Philippine map-making quarter of a million. Um, that was an area of the world that was little charted, so um, it was full of uh, spices and gold and jewels and things that people wanted. So uh, maps were your ticket to find these things, right. and were incredibly important. And, of course, most of the maps of the Philippines ended up in the UK or, um, or on the continent, because that's where people were doing the sort of exploring from. Right. Um, and, and the buyers for them uh, now, in, a, in an emerging market for maps of the Far East, um, are on the other side of the world. So quite often these things have ended up um, sort of separated from the potential market. So that, that's an example of an area where people could have these things and not really know about it. No, quite. And this particular teapot, it turns out, comes from uh, a Chinese emperor uh, sometime between yep. 1735 and 1796. I mean, just looking at the picture of it, it doesn't look particularly unusual. It's got a kind of quite, a, I, I guess, an ornate-looking lid. But aside from that, if you looked at that teapot, you wouldn't really think much of it, would you? You could overlook it. And I think the same with some of the... Um, uh, sort of Chinese and Japanese works of art. And, of course, you must consider that porcelain to them was uh, was in no way considered inferior to a fine painting. Right. Um, they have a slightly different idea on what constitutes a work of art, I suppose. So jade carvings, ivory carvings, textiles, they can all be as important as a, a, a fine oil painting. Right. Um, and, and as valuable. And a lot of the the taste was for, you know, uh, reserved works of art. So mm. sometimes you see something that looks quite pay, uh, plain, but the the detailing is exquisite, right. and the design is exquisite. And 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 it, uh, it, but but to the untrained eye, it could easily be overlooked in you know on a shelf of ceramics. Well, of course, and I mean, how much of it has to do with the demand as well? Because in this particular case, I think it was a, a telephone bidder um, who made the price go up quite as high as it as it did end up going. Um, is that important? You know, does it? I mean, are there particular areas of of of, of, of old stuff, I suppose, um, which people spend more money on? Well, Chinese has been the big stories for um, for auctioneers, right. certainly in the UK, for the last twenty years, mm. because of some of these things, I suppose, going back a few decades, would be uh, less considered. But um, we are when when I visit someone's house, if I go on a, a, a typical valuation obviously we're always looking out for chinese porcelain and jade because the chinese market is um is is, is so um inflated um there's so many rich buyers in china that that really will stop at nothing to get the items that they want yeah um but new emerging markets you know similar in japan and india um and uh, a lot of 
because of our colonial past, of course, a lot of their greatest treasures ended up in this country. That's why you get a porcelain teapot that was produced in the imperial kilns for the imperial court. Um, So those sorts of things did get released to, you know, people and and they did end up back in the UK. And and so um, it's possible to find them. But there's other markets. I mean, I suppose um, the last 20 years has seen... Uh, a, a slight decline in some of the more traditional art and antiques and we think maybe of the year 2000 as in a high tide point mm. for things like Georgian furniture and Victorian paintings, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but, you know, vintage wristwatches, uh, medals, these sorts of things that people could easily have stuck up in the loft 20 or 30 years ago um, are now... Um, doing extremely well at auction in this country. Right. Because, I mean, this particular Chinese emperor, funnily enough, I've seen another story recently, this month, in fact, of someone who bought um, a, a vase from this same period, yep. 1735 to 1796. I don't know if it's yeah. Jianglong Emperor. It's Kanbong, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, I suppose it's, um, just prior to that, you know, Yongshen, which I suppose is considered to be the very pinnacle uh-huh. of craftsmanship in the... Um, in China. Yes. Traditionally, I suppose, people talk about Ming porcelain, but yeah. quite often it is these 18th century porcelain pieces which were considered to be the finest of their craft. Yes, I mean, this That's one, they, yeah. this particular vase looks a lot more elaborate than the teapot. Um, bought, yeah. for, bought for a yeah. pound in a charity shop, sold That's for right. nearly 400,000. Yeah, incredible. It really is. I suppose, I suppose people should be getting down their cha- local charity shop and see what's in there. It's, it's possible. You know, um, I... In, just in the last few years, I've known, um, we had a client that bought a painting by a Cornish artist called Dorothea Sharp at a, mm. uh, a, a shop, junk shop in, of all places, Southwold, um, which is quite a smart place. Yeah. Um, and then for £50, unsigned painting, but um, we were able to attribute it, and that sold for 28000 Wow. Um, I've known people walking off the street with items that were purchased at um, car boot sales or, or um, charity shops for a pound that have, that have made four-figure sums with some frequency. Um, but I, I suppose it, it cuts both ways. I remember one lady coming in one day with a bunch of stuff that she'd taken to a car boot. She'd done a car boot the previous weekend, and um, she said she was about to take it all to the charity shop, and would we take a look just before she gave it all away? At the bottom of the box, I found a pair of mice and vases, mm. which... Um, She'd been trying to sell at her car boot sale for two pounds. And apparently she'd been, been offered a pound, um, but she stuck to her guns, and we sold them for £2,000. Wow. So there's probably things being missed as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's out there. What's the tax uh, liability on something like that? If you, if you say, for example, bought a, a, a vase for a pound, sold it for 400000 obviously the auctioneers take a cut of that. Do you have to pay any, any tax on that? You would. Yeah. yeah. Well, as, 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 what, what sort of capital gains or something? Yes, there is. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. And, and what's... I suppose mean, in the scheme of things, um, if you're making a profit of that scale, then that's easily swallowed up. It is, depending on your view of the government taking your tax money away and spoiling and ruining it, but that's another story. Never mind. Thank you very much indeed. Daniel Wright, auctioneer and valuer at the uh, Riemann Danzi Auctioneers. Imagine finding something in a pound shop uh, or a, a charity shop for a pound and then selling it for several thousand quid. I'm not sure I'd be that happy about paying tax on it, to be honest. Uh, but there we are. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Noel, who's in Sheffield. He wants to talk to me uh, about parking charges. Hello, Noel. Hi, Mike. How, How are, are you? I am very well indeed. Yeah. What can you tell me? Yeah, uh, just listening to you this morning talking about inner city parking and congestion charges. Yes. Uh, uh, there's another cheeky little learner that seems to have grabbed hold quite well in Sheffield, where I live, mm. and that's residential parking. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, seems to be happening in a lot of towns now. They've worked out, oh, we well, can charge people to, for something that we never used to charge them for. Well, yeah, uh, so you pay the council tax on the street where you live, you pay the road tax for the car, and now we have to pay residential on the street where you live as well. Uh, I live in a semi-rural area, uh, so we've got no hospitals nearby, no sports stadiums, no big arenas, anything like that. Uh, and we were flooded in 2007. Right. Uh, and the council thought it'd be a great idea if to help with the rebuilding of the houses that 
you know, we'll bring on street parking, £30 a time. Yeah. So we yeah, had that'd be great if it helps us get back home. It's now nearly £150. Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? Once you open that floodgate, suddenly you find oh. yourself going, oh, hang on, when did, when did this happen? Uh, it started in 2007. Right. And, and so but the, the great thing about it is it's free to park on the street between 8.30 and 6.30, and then when the street's empty, you're literally paying for not being there because you're at work. Right. And then when you come home at night, people that don't live there can park on there and go about their business. Right. And you can't, yet you paid for the privilege of doing that. One of the things they do in London, which is really cheeky, is they'll give you um, a section of the street which is for residential parking, right? But they'll also, at some times, allow other people to park there. Um, but it's not very clear, so you can get confused. I once parked in what I thought was a parking bay for everybody else, and it turned out, yeah. because it wasn't properly marked, it was, a, it was a residential bay, and I got a ticket, even though I'd paid to park there. Yeah, um, believe me, it's... It's going to take off. It's took off in Sheffield, big style. So, uh, and what? And what about the numbers of people that have to get a car parking permit? Because, like I said, in Edinburgh they had this problem where people there were more people buying the permits than there were spaces, so you couldn't always get a space. Yeah, no. Uh, literally, everybody on the street has to have a permit. Literally, mm. and and you're not guaranteed to be able to park there as well when you get home. It's unbelievable. So if isn't I'm, it? It's like I, I've been working in. Cheshire, Lincolnshire, so I come home late at night, gone 6.30, and I can't park on the street where I live, and I've paid for the privilege of parking there. I know. It's hard to believe. And, and you never really get the opportunity to be asked whether you're agreeing with this idea at all. I got, a thing, I got a thing through my door the other day in London, in the borough where I live, to say they're changing some of the usage of the streets, right? Uh, and this yeah. may affect parking. Now, most of the streets around me are free to park, so I bet you any money they're going to do exactly that down here as well. Oh, get ready. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. More money to the to the to the local council. No, thank you very much indeed. That's happening in Sheffield. Um, it's happening probably in lots of towns now because every council is always now saying, "Oh well, you know, we don't get so much money from the government as we used to get. We don't get so much funding, so we have to raise as much money as we possibly can." But surely there must be something immoral about actually charging people for something that used to be free. That can't be right, can it? That's like saying we're going to start charging you for the air. All that air you've been breathing, you thought it was free? Well, no. Now we're going to charge you per you know, breath, 50p or something. And so you end up having to give the local council 10 quid a day or 20 quid a day just for breathing. It's unbelievable. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm thought that an innocent boiled egg, right, would be the cause of such consternation uh, on a commuter train from Chelmsford to Liverpool Street in London. It's coming in from Essex, right? Uh, it turns out Samantha Mead, who's 50 years of age, who was on a train uh, which was also being shared uh, by a woman called Erica Stoter, um, who was also travelling into London. She had a Tupperware box with her. Uh, and in the midst of the uh, very crowded conditions, she decided to open the Tupperware box and started eating a boiled egg. Now, I don't know whether she was uh, shelling the egg as well or whether the shell had already been removed. Uh, she started eating it, and apparently the smell was so appalling, right, that Ms Mead flew off the handle... Uh, and the whole thing ended up in a sort of bit of a punch-up, and she was found guilty of one charge of intentionally causing harassment, alarm or distress uh, in Blackfriars Crown Court, uh, and was fined £750 in order to pay £750 in compensation, 1500 quid for a boiled egg. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, people do get grumpy on the train. I can attest to that, because I come in on a tube every day uh, when I can, if it's running, if it's not being uh, glued onto by some members of Extinction Rebellion. But let's talk to Patrick Monaghan, uh, our fa favourite northeastern correspondent here in the UK. Um, I don't know if they do much commuting up there, Patrick, on trains, but uh, <laughs> have you ever come across... I mean, I'll tell you what, I do have a thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm relatively tolerant of most things, yeah. right? But when people start eating particularly sort of hot food on a train yeah. or a bus, it does kind yeah. of grind my gears. 
do you know what? Well, Mike, do you know what I feel? You're paying. I'm I'm on both sides of the fence on this because I do loads of travel. I've probably been on that train, that old seat. Have you? Whatever it is from yeah, from Cheltenham into is it Fenchurch Street, Liverpool Street? Then and it is rammed on them trains. I know what it's like, but it look if I'm if I'm eating, I understand what it's like. You know when people are. Like, they don't realise you've been running around, we haven't got time to eat. What I always do is I put a newspaper up, yeah. I sort of cover my face, right. I have food in the bag, <laughs> and then I sort of sneak one hand up so no one can see it behind yes. the newspaper, and I feed myself. So it's like a magic trick. Well, that, I think that's no one... fair enough, yeah. Patrick, because yeah. I think if you're at least making an effort to disguise yeah. what you're doing, Exactly, um, I yeah. think that shows some kind of willing, which is good. But yeah. if you're just sitting there, I mean, yeah. boiled eggs are particularly smelly, aren't they? Well, the way you were describing that when she took out the Tupperware box, it sounded like a sketch from the 1980s. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like we're going to a Tupperware party. I know. Eggs. I mean, it was eating boiled eggs, though. It's like there's so many great things you can have on the move, especially with protein and stuff. But it was, um, yeah, I think, I think, look, you've got to be... If you're eating something like that, you've got to be careful about everyone else. It's not, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but when I'm in a restaurant, I'm always conscious. I feel self-conscious people are watching me, but not on a packed train. When, I don't know. You know I'm, when, listen, if I'm, if I'm in a place where you're supposed to be eating, I'm fine with that. Yeah, exactly, but, if I, yeah. I, but I'm a bit like you. I mean, if I, for example, was, yeah. was so hungry that I had to grab something to eat before I get on mm -hmm. a train, it would be something like a Danish pastry, you know, yeah, because that's, yeah. one, it's cold. Um, yeah. It doesn't smell particularly. Um, mm -hmm. And I think anything that gives off any kind of a honk of any kind yeah. or needs to be eaten with cutlery yeah. is a no-no. I mean, I saw a woman once on, the, on a tube train, Jubilee Line. Yeah. wasn't crowded, yeah. but it was. everyone was sitting down. She yeah. got out a, a, a pot of coleslaw, oh. right, and a fork <laughs> and started, oh, no. and started fork, uh, putting this fork of coleslaw into her mouth. I was like, that's oh. disgusting. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, you know what? But the thing is, it's not even just with the food. Now, I think, I don't know what it is. I think people now are so relaxed about doing things. I, I saw someone doing, um, they took out nail clippers and yeah. started clipping their nails. Aye. Just thinking, you know, it's like, well, I think the problem is you've got to, I understand what they're doing now by finding and say, look, we're trying to draw a line. We're trying to stop people saying, look, stop eating while you're traveling. Stop yeah. eating. You should do this in the bathroom. You should do this in the kitchen. You should do that. The only, the only problem with this I have is that, Look, you shouldn't have fined her that much. You don't, you don't find some £1,500. I mean, she could have got a taxi in every day instead of, you know, getting on the train or bought a car for that price. But in the retrospect, what she should have done is, it's like, because if you're, if you're sat there and someone's having a big meal in front of you or they're, you know, they're clipping the nails or having a shower in front of you, you're not happy with it, just move, you know. It's, yeah. Just well, this, this, I mean, this kind of escalated. Ms. Yeah. Mead, who, who doesn't look like a particularly dangerous no. individual, yeah. um, apparently sort of got right up in this woman's face and basically yeah. told her she was disgusting and, yeah. and, and threatened her. Uh, do you want to get, take it outside? <laughs> and, uh, on a tray. How funny is that, Mike? You're, you're I on mean, a really? Tray. It was good. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> you're like, OK, see you, man. I would have just said to her, yeah, yeah, take it outside. Let her get off the train. Yeah. Just stay on the the trick. I mean, we, I mean, my, the biggest problem I get, and luckily I don't have to travel yeah. very far on the Jubilee line, but it's usually rammed, right? And yeah. the trouble is where people don't know what the etiquette is, because the etiquette is is that when the train comes into a station, oh, doors open, yeah. if yeah. people want to get out, you get out too, and then yeah. you get back on. But yeah. some people yeah. just stand there, and they yeah. and oh. eventually get shoulder-charged out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, when they try and... Do you know what the worst is? When the door opens and they try and get on even before... Oh, yeah. Off. See, I, I, I always ram myself into people that do that. Yeah, yeah. Because that is definitely not right. Yeah. It's like, get down into a scrum and just go straight through them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really is bad. But, I mean, you know, on, on sort of longer-haul trains, yeah. I find it difficult as well. Because if you... I, I was on a train to Scotland not that long ago. Yeah. And you walk yeah. through the carriageway to get up to whatever is going on in the buffet. And the, the people oh. have brought entire meals on with them. There was a guy sitting with two, like, packets yeah. of Chinese food that oh. he was eating. Yeah. And that was stinking the place out. Next carriage, there was a guy with some curry. Yeah, yeah. That's in the middle of the day. But it's, do you know what will happen? I think it's going to be the same with what they did with the drinks. Do you remember they said, like, you can't bring drinks on now after a certain time? Oh, yeah. the weekend. They'll probably do the same with the food. But the, how are you going to police that? That's the problem. The, I mean... I've seen it where you've travelled, and like you said, there people have got food on the tables. I've seen it where they put picnics out, and there's been like a Hindu stag do, yeah. or there's been someone's like they're going on someone's 40th birthday party. And I always, I don't mind it because I walk through the carriage and I'm having a laugh. But, but I always feel sorry for the people who sat around who were not on that party. Yeah. And they just sat in this carriage, and all around them, 
they're just looking at tables full of all this food. I saw, I, I had a funny one. I saw some people, I almost got on at London Bridge, I think I was heading down to Hastings, and there was all these yeah. women uh, who were oh, obviously celebrating yeah. something or other. They were all kind yeah. of of a certain age, and they were drinking mm -hmm. champagne. They'd all brought proper glasses and the whole oh. thing. Yeah. And as the train took off and the yeah. announcements came, they worked out they were on the wrong train. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they were supposed That's to be brilliant. going somewhere like, I don't know, Ashford, and instead they yeah. were on a completely different train. <laughs> they was going to Sevenoaks. And, they, you know, they suddenly worked out that they had to get off and go back. Oh. And did they, what, they just sailed for a bit? Well, the problem was the first stop, I think, was, was Sevenoaks. So they had to go yeah. all the way to Sevenoaks before they could come <laughs> all the way back again. That would have been great, wouldn't it? Fantastic. Well, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Love it. Love but, it. you know, I mean, I suppose um, in some ways it's more surprising mm -hmm. that we don't see these kind of stories more often. Yeah, I mean, but I'm surprised that they're actually, and I think even mentioned it in the article, but even, you know, that she found the woman five days later and that the police did something. I mean, I've seen it where people get their houses broken into and then, or, or they see someone suspicious, and the police, you know, it's very difficult sometimes to get the police to come until they've actually been proved for this. Why, exactly. is the, why is the fine so high? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I think £750 was the cost or something, and yeah. £750 was the fine. So, but I think, look, the, the, they always do this where they go, we're going to punish them hard for something like this to sort of make an example of them. But I don't think it does. I think it just makes it just makes a, 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 the system laughable, where people think, "Well, this is ridiculous." You're yeah. not going to you're not going to you're not going to see people now smuggling on eggs like Pablo Escobar, like putting them inside of like loads of like you know clothes in their suitcases. Smug, smuggling inside some sausage <laughs> meat, calling it a scotch yeah. egg. You know <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But I mean, the other thing I find is that nowadays I'm much less likely to to kind of uh, engage with someone in an aggressive way on public yeah. transport because. You never know what they're going to do. You know, pull out yeah. some mace or something, or pull out yeah. a knife. You know, especially down here. <laughs> especially on that Jubilee line. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, they might. Well, they might be eco warriors or something. You know, they oh. might sort of hurl yogurt at me. Exactly. Yeah, and it, and it is now. I think it is. It's got to that point now where you you've got to be careful, haven't you? Where you don't know if you ask someone politely. I've seen it where sometimes someone will say something, and you. I mean, this happened to me the other day. I was sat on the train. I was eating some crisps. I was, I was on the tube, and then see, um, crisps. I think are okay. Yeah, crisps are okay. Yeah, and I was as long as you don't wipe your hands on the seat. Well, and and I didn't realize I was sitting a bit much. I didn't really think much of it. And then some of this lady next just took out these packet tissues. Oh no! And then she just passed. <laughs> one of them to me like this, and I did not. Like, but then I could see she looked really angry. But I just said, "Oh, thanks very much." And I just took the tissue, yeah. that, and then it sort of calmed it down. And then she sort of said, "No worries about that," and I just took the tissue. Yeah. But when I was, when, I mean, yeah, people can be busybodies, can't I? I mean, I was yeah. when I was a schoolboy, I used to take the tube because I, I, I lived in North London and I went to school in West London, and I was eating a club biscuit once. I remember on the Metropolitan oh, yeah. Line, and yeah. this woman turned to me because quite a busy train, and yeah. said, "It would help if you chewed more quietly." Oh, my God, what? And I said, what's it got to do with you? I was only about 11. I said, what's it yeah. got to do with you? She was affronted yeah. that I would even answer her back. But, you know, I wasn't having any <laughs> of that. Good. No, no, but you've got to. I think that's, I think these people, obviously, they they get a kick out of it where they go around, they spend their whole life just going about telling people, this is how you should eat, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know what? Just I think just get on with it. You're on that journey. And, so, yeah. and you're going to be on that commute for a while. Don't make it. I think they like that that hassle of having other people with their backs up or they want some confrontation. Yeah. You just think, oh, get on with it. I know. Just have an egg. Shocking. Yeah, don't take any Fridays or whatever you do. Patrick, thank you very much indeed. Patrick Monaghan, the uh, voice of reason uh, from the northeast of England. Comedian. Go and see him if you get a chance. Let's talk to Marie, uh, who's in Castleford. Hello, Marie. Oh, hello, Mike. How are thank you? you for taking my call. I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Are you surviving up there with the waters and everything? Yeah, we're all right. Yeah, no, okay. it's quite bright and sunny today. Oh, yeah, that's we're good. doing quite well. Excellent. Um, this is my real bugbear, Mike. I find it so disrespectful at people eating in public, yeah. walking down the street with sandwiches, whatever. I just find it so disrespectful. Mm. I think if you want to sit down and eat, like they do on the continent, sit down, enjoy the food, and I know we're all rushing, but the one thing, my biggest bugbear of anything at all, Mike, is in the cinema. Yeah. So myself and my daughter sometimes go to the cinema at around 6 o'clock showings. You know, this kind of just after Yeah, early evenings, yeah. Yeah, and uh, oh my God, Mike, you would not believe the noise that people make. And they're taking everything. And I just think there are low, an abundance of restaurants underneath the cinema. 
why, you know, you either go in to eat, mate, or you go into the cinema. Exactly. You know, you, you can't do two things at once, you know, you, you can't. And I think now we're just so caught up in rushing everywhere that nobody takes time to do the things anymore. So if you want to sit and eat, you sit and eat. And if you want to go on the tube, you go on the tube. And I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't be that. You can't be in that much of a hurry that you can't stop and sit on a bench no. and eat whatever the food is, can you? For God's sake, no. And you see them, you know. And the worst thing of all, Mike, is when I see them giving kids it the same way. You yeah. know, like the sausage roll and the and the biscuit, right. and and I just think, for goodness sake, sit the you know the baby or the toddler down, sit with them, talk to them, feed them. You know, and it's. And it's such, uh, I just, I think that it's, a, it's a, a part of our culture that we've really lost. Yeah. And I think, I love to go to Spain and see all the families, you know, sat round at lunchtime. And obviously they have the siesta, so they spend two hours just eating and drinking and the kids are there. And it's just so nice to see. And you come here and everybody's just frantically rushing and yeah. stuffing food in the face. It's oh, I terrible. Know. I think this street food business hasn't helped either because yeah. people go to these stalls, right? I mean, there's a place not far from my office here, um, which is a falafel stand uh, around by yeah. London Bridge Station. People are queuing yeah. up, right, literally around the corner, around the block. I'm sure it's very good. But they're all just then <laughs> standing in the street eating it. Yeah, Because there's nowhere to and sit there. And they don't, they don't eat respectfully. They're no. kind of shoveling it in. But don't you think, Mike, a lot of it is to do with social media? It's to do with this PC being correct and eating the right thing. And, oh, and maybe. People, because people don't have time to actually sit down and go to a nice restaurant or do anything nice mm. anymore, they, they, they tend to just... It's all about putting it on social media. I mean, I see it myself when I'm out. You know, they're at these places and all they're doing is taking photos yeah. of the food and, and then they're shoveling it down because they've spent so much time posting it on Oh, I know. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Media. No, I, def I definitely think you've got a point there, definitely. Marie, thank you very much indeed. It is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, people can't sit down and eat anymore. It seems ludicrous. As far as cinemas go, by the way, I mean, I wouldn't let them sell you anything in a cinema apart from popcorn. Just popcorn. You should be able to eat anything else because otherwise it stinks. Uh, if it's chocolate, it makes too much noise. It melts. People sit on it. Chewing gum. You know, I'm sorry. I don't wish to be um, a sort of a maniac about this, but I just think popcorn should be the only thing you can eat in a cinema. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.